In this show, we'd love to welcome Bonnie. Bonnie is from a business and policy background. Bonnie is passionate about scaling businesses focused on decarbonization, using her skill sets to strategically advise electrification startups and scale-ups, helping them accelerate the market adoption to electrified transportation. Bonnie is a true advocate and market expert uh, within the sector uh, and is front and center with legislators, regulators, and the EV industry stakeholders across the US um, and especially looking into federal and state levels. Um, in this conversation, we're going to touch on Bonnie's views on fleet electrification in general, uh, some of the tailwinds and headwinds faced by some of the startups that she's working with, uh, and also the importance of cross-training into the sector and some, some about the talent gap. So um, Bonnie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I love that introduction. It makes me sound quite an interesting person. <laughs> Well, I, I, we, you know, you, you made it on here for a reason. So I think being interesting was definitely part of it. So, so Bonnie, I, I'd love to start by giving our listeners, um, you know, a bit of an overview of your your areas of expertise. I, I touched on a few of those earlier, but I'm sure I didn't do them justice. So, um, you know, please uh, give us a quick high level overview of your your areas of expertise. So, I always kind of describe myself as somewhat of an fearless adventurer in terms of both on work and off work. Um, you can't really put me on a straight jacket and say these are her skill sets because I have pivoted industries, I've pivoted disciplines. Um, David Ogilvy, the, the famous advertising guru, uh, once said the secret behind his success and his organization's success was something called divine discontent. And very paradoxical, if you, you know, on the face of it. Um, but I found that to be incredibly profound and have kind of taken it to heart and, and, and kind of led my life to some extent with that philosophy, whereby, you know, anytime I've got, you know, too comfortable or complacent, either by circumstance or by choice, I've pivoted to doing some different work. So I have disrupted telecom where I was working on product marketing. Um, to completely a different field where I had no knowledge, which was uh, clean energy, um, and now into clean transport and via a stint in the government because I thought I, if I was going to get into a regulated business, I should understand policymaking and, and regulatory work up front and close. So as you mentioned, um, I, I, I wasn't, but I, uh, over the years I've become an absolute passionate advocate of all things fueled by clean electrons and really excited to be in a space where I get to play and work with um, startups that are working ferociously every day to create solutions um, to save this planet um, because we have no planet B. So my skill set is at the intersection of technology, business, and policy, if you will, if I had to try and straightjacket what I do. Well, I think that's um, that, that's really interesting, and and um, you know I, we'll, we'll come on to a bit more about your journey, um, and because I know it's been a been a good one. But the um, you know, can you give our, our listeners a, a quick overview of, of of plug to grid and a bit about the like you said you're, you're playing at the moment. I love that phrasing. You're playing with with some of the startups, is it? and I know you enjoy it there. So yeah, I'd love to know a bit about the the company and and, and what you're focusing on. So Plug to Grid um, um, Strategies is a very niche advisory firm that works with founders and co-founders 
in primarily in the clean transport space, though I have worked in the clean tech space as well. It, its remit is that we take an um, holistic approach to the business. Um, how do we scale the business? It's not a short-term kind of project thing. Um, so the the other thing with, with Plug to Grid, <laughs> as it happens, is through that, I've actually come to form my own startup in the charging infrastructure space, which is currently in stealth mode and very excited about um, the solution we're going to bring to the fleet market. So um, in terms of the, the work that Plectogress Strategies does is really working with founders and co-founders across the business spectrum, uh, whether that's you know being in the energy space, obviously policy and regulation takes a very central role in the go-to-market, but also as a startup scaling business, and that means sales takes center stage. And being in the industry as long as I have and being the person I have, um, I do have a broad network that I have been hugely supportive of the work I've been doing in supporting the startups that I have been, as you say, playing with, but um, really, be, really been a fascinating experience thus far. And what was that moment where, you know, Plug to Good sort of, what was the inception point of that? How did it come alive in your mind? Because I'm it, it, obviously from a passion, but, but what, what was the kind of the light bulb moment for you when you decided to, to build? Yeah, it, like, you know, many things in life, it happened, serendipity played a role. And um, there was a VC, um, uh, a lady uh, very entrenched in the space, very smart. And she had just, uh, her firm had just invested in a, in a clean tech startup. And she reached out and she said, you know, what do you think about being an advisor to them? Because they could do with your help. And I hadn't thought about it at all because, you know, I come from uh, work for multinationals, work for the government, very structured. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And that's how Plug to Grid was born because I really enjoyed that process. And I said, why not? And that uh, was a little over two and a half years ago. Wow. Awesome. It's interesting how those those things just just sort of pop up if you let them. Um, so you, you you touched on the multinational piece there, and and, and obviously we are um, very interested in your background. You know, prior to Plug to Grid. So um, you know, let, let's give our listeners a, an overview of who they're listening to and, and and what the what the journey's been. Oh, it's been one of uh, what would I say across mountains and valleys, as many people's journeys are, but. Uh, what I've done is is to take seize the opportunities that were provided to me. I think that's very important um, because we often don't know many things, and when they're presented to us, we kind of go, "Oh my God, should I?" Um, but like you said, you know, I started my career in a multinational environment. Um, in fact, I started my career as an intern in Ogilvy, and um, did pretty well, um, I guess, because I was, you know, very soon transferred to the regional headquarters in Singapore to run um, a huge multinational client in the telecom space that the agency had just won across all 
I think it was at that time, 18 countries of Asia Pacific. And that was my introduction to telecom, as you can imagine. This was the, the transition to um, how the internet got into our pocket. Um, so from there on, I actually moved on to work with Nokia and, and ran their uh, product marketing business unit for 15 countries in Asia Pacific for the enterprise part of, um, of Nokia, which was both the handsets as well as the enterprise units. Um, and that's when I started reading about something called smart meters and smart grids that was being talked about in Scandinavian countries. And like I said, I'm a curious creature. And I said, what is that? It sounds kind of familiar to what we did in telecom, you know, move the move from analog to digital. And I had no idea about anything to do with electricity, like none whatsoever. I didn't know the difference between kilowatt and kilowatt hour. And from there on, that's when I decided that, hey, I've done this. Now it's time to do something else, but I need to learn. And that's when I made the decision to move to the government. And I was incredibly fortunate to have been hired by um, the inward investment arm of the Singapore government, learned a huge amount um, about policymaking, regulation, um, how countries um, bring in investment, and more importantly, the workforce and talent um, uh, that a country needs to prepare to attract these kind of investments. Um, and that's, my journey would have carried on in Singapore through the energy system, except at that point, life made us move to the United States. And that was a complete unexpected turn that we, that I at least had no not anticipated at all and did not at all was ready for what it would mean for me um, uh, professionally because, you know, U.S. has very, you may be familiar with, very stringent immigration rules for who can work and under what circumstances. So I was like, well, you want to work in this space, you're here, what are you going to do about it? So I went straight down to the boots and you know, went and started working um, as an advisor in a policy firm in Silicon Valley. They wanted somebody who uh, understood technology, could uh, put that to in the in the context of policy and smart grid and smart meters. And that was about a decade ago, and I've not looked back. And since then, kind of moved on and worked for a large German conglomerate ran their regulatory affairs and market development for North America and Southeast Asia and worked on smart energy, so advanced metering inf infrastructure and then, then on to clean transport. So um, a lot has happened in a decade. <laughs> yeah, no, you've, you've definitely been busy. Um, you know, it's interesting when we when we looked at your profile, um, you know, moving from, you know, such a large organization as to, you know, the, the German organization you were working for into the startup world, you know, we are seeing a few people trying to navigate that, that move, um, you know, looking back on that time, what, what's, what would been, what were some of the tailwinds, but also what, what advice would you give to yourself 
making that move again, coming out of the corporate world. Into a world where you have to do everything. Into a world you have to do everything, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the first thing I said, be ready to do everything. Um, I think in many ways I would say I was ready for it, um, even though I wasn't actually had a roadmap and planned out and everything. But mentally, I think I was ready for it. I worked in large organizations all my life. Um, and I think while large, large organizations have huge benefits and huge opportunities, um, but they also tend to kind of uh, hem you in into kind of swim lanes, if you will. And I've always been somebody who thinks laterally, who has diverse skill sets. And I kind of look at problems in many different ways and say, you know, I tend to ask why not as opposed to why. And and sometimes in large organizations, um, people with that kind of mindset can feel a bit restricted. And so I think I was ready to get into an environment where I could absolutely blue sky and think of every solution that there could exist for uh, a challenge that we are facing without having to think about, you know, which business unit needs to sign off on that and whose toes should I absolutely not, you know, um, tread upon. So I think mentally I was ready for it. Um, now, was I completely, you know, like I said, did I have a roadmap? No, I didn't. But I, I made that up on the way. And I think I've been very fortunate that some of the people who I've worked with have hugely supported and provided a helping hand. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons I can give people that build, you know, build your network, not just for, you know, just like for being business only, build it as a human to human relationship, because you'd be surprised just how many people will lend a helping hand. And also remember to help other people too. And, and, and I think it's important, you know, when we're coaching people through that kind of transition, it's, it's you know, it's very easy to maybe look at the the romantic side of, of the startup world and think, you know, oh, it's no, you know, you join and you, you know, you sail off into the sunset on, on your yacht where it's it's like people forget that 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 windy journey that that's on that road. And it's interesting, you mentioned something there about kind of you were, you sounded like you were very comfortable with being uncomfortable, that there wasn't a roadmap and you were okay with that. and you know, that's, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that, but <laughs> you need to be a special character to embrace that. <laughs> I, I think, you know, um, we often underestimate ourselves. So you think you can't. And when it's, when you're faced with something and you think, why not? Yeah, sure. I mean, what's the worst? You know, you're aiming for the moon, you will land on the roof. It's not so bad. <laughs> you know? But at least, you know, when you look back, you say, Hey, I gave it a try. It's it's awful if you look back and said, "I wish I tried." You know, always try. So we'll, we'll come on to a bit into sort of the startup world again. I'm I'm, I'm really curious about. So I've got some other questions, but um, I, you know, I'd like to sort of dig in a little bit to, to fleet electrification, right? You you mentioned earlier, and we won't won't talk about your your startup in stealth mode, but I'd love to know about sort of zooming out 
a little bit and then we'll, we'll zoom in. So, so zooming out, you know, to, to, to sort of people that are maybe not educated about sort of fleet electrification and, you know, why is this such a game changer for the U.S.? I would say just not the U.S., but across globally, when I think about fleets in developing worlds using, you know, diesel, it just makes my heart like stop. Like, how do we change these things? Um, the fleet electrification aspect, while still very nascent right now, it's very, very early stages, has the potential to really overtake the non-fleet segment simply because of the momentum behind it. it. Just take the US, for example, the medium and heavy duty vehicle category, which many comprise in the fleet category, is uh, responsible for over 25% of the GHG emission compared to the population on the road. So rightly, policymakers and regulators are taking a real hard look as to how to um, uh, address this issue because the disproportionate amount of GHG and other um, noxious fumes that are being um, emitted are really, you know, impacting communities, especially along interstates, a lot of dis disadvantage and low-income communities. So rightly, a lot of focus on this. And for that, we think it will kind of electrify sooner than the non-fleet segment. Now, when I talk about fleets, I'm, all, I'm talking both um, human-driven dri and autonomous fleets. Um, the other reason why I think it's going to be an exciting um, and probably fast-moving segment is that fleet electrification gives an opportunity for diverse what we call behind-the-meter technologies, such as for generation purpose or storing purpose, like renewables, like solar or energy storage, um, to come together to create microgrids, if you will, um, to provide power on site to the chargers, and, and then also be able to provide um, power to buildings that may be on the site. So there are diverse loads that come to play um, at a fleet electrification site. And it's exciting simply because thus far, you know, energy has been a siloed um, field, transport has been a siloed field. And in transport electrification, we see these two very diverse um, in, uh, segments come together. And it's exciting because these technologies are coming together to play. So think about this site with all its generation capacity and its storing capacity, charging capacity, being able to island should the grid go down and then continue to function. Whereas conversely, should the grid need it, then they're able to supply power as well. So it, it truly becomes a modernized aspect of the grid that integrates so many disparate aspects of the electric system that we know, and then the evolving aspects of uh, transport electrification. Now, I know I got, got a bit weedy, but you know this is why it excites us, and this is why we are creating a solution that will provide... I mean, it's, it's an incredibly complex uh, category, 
Um, we're not denying that simply because think about it. Fleet operators, people who own trucks or, you know, vans, you know, the mom and pop shop in the, in the, who's doing the laundry downtown might have a fleet of five vans. And all they ever did was to just go to the gas station, use a credit card and fill gas. And now here we are talking about all these things. So it is a complex um, issue on the face of it. But what I think startups like what we are creating and many others, what they're trying to do is to have an easy button to make sure this transition from ice to uh, electrons becomes an easy, quick button for the customers that are uh, or will be in many ways mandated to make this transition. I can imagine a lot of it's about confidence, right? Whether you're Amazon or whether you're the mom and pop shop, if things go down and your trucks can't go out, that's going to be something that's very front of mind at the moment. So I think everyone that we speak to kind of can see the, what the future holds, but I think it's sometimes it's sometimes hard to see what the the here and now needs. You know, in your opinion, if you have to summarize what the fleet electrification marketplace needs at the moment, what's the first step, or, or the step that should be next in, in in your view? There needs to be a charging solution that is easy to deploy, is cost effective, and is not an IT project to integrate. We need to give fleet operators, this person, whether it's the Amazons of the world, something that is easy, uh, instills confidence in them, and is able to support their immediate duty cycles as they make this transition, because not all of it will transition at the same time. If, you know, we're looking between now and 2040 when all vehicles in this category in California will need to be electric. So whilst we think, you know, maybe 15 years is a long time or 17 years, whatever that may be, it isn't because you think about vehicle life cycles, um, you know, you might change them every 10 years or 12 years, depending on what the, the vehicle is. So the, the transition needs to start happening, but what, as you rightly ask, what is the thing that they need most? And they need something that is easy and that they can understand. And it's, you know, they're not going, what is a demand charge? So these are solutions where people, you know, like charging and the service operators are coming and saying, okay, we'll take that headache off you. You know, this is what you need. That's it. You know, KWH per mile for 10 years. That's it. And those are the kind of solutions we are looking for. And with the um, with the access that you have to the technology and the the information, the strategic minds that are in the industry at the moment, as you kind of close your eyes and picture what the world's going to look like in you know in your crystal ball, where where will this take us? What you know, what, what do you think you'll you will see more of in the in the in the future? Um, I think electrification is no longer in debate. Um, that I think is kind of done. Um, doesn't matter where you are, what your political leanings are, climate change is staring at our face. And, and I think it's impacting people across spectrum and across whether you're in, the, in a developing world or in a first world, doesn't matter. I think that is a given. Now, how quickly that transition happens and how governments support um, its constituents to make this transition, that's going to be the kind of, you know, 
um, unknown factors. Some will move faster and some will be slower. I, I think a lot of, unfortunately, politics gets in the way. Um, in Europe, this unfortunate, I cannot believe we are saying this in the 21st century, we have a war on the European mainland. It's, it's absolutely shocking. But if you think about what could be something good that comes out of this terrible human crisis, um, is maybe European countries that were a little slow to make this transition will start thinking, very, and they already are, about the need for energy security and diversity of energy sources. So I think I see some of these things um, happening going forward in terms of you know, the, the speed of transition um, and what kind of technologies get deployed before others. I think those are the kind of nuances overall. We are moving to electrification. It's happening. It's happening. It would be nice to know that it's happened. <laughs> and, and it must be so exciting to be part of that, that, that you know, people that are trailblazing that, right? Because you will look back and be like, oh, yeah, it, it, it happened. It happened. It happened. It happened. I look back at telecom that way and I say, I was part of that. Yeah. Living, that's how you're living your purpose. I love it. And, you, and, and, and you know, we, we, we know that sort of electrification aside, as I mentioned before, we, we, we're seeing... Uh, there's obviously a talent gap, right? And and we're talking clean tech more more generally, whether it's electrification, whether it's hydrogen, you know, whatever part of the market. And 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 you know, one of the things that people are, are is a maybe a blind spot for some of those people is is kind of, you know, if they are looking at the startup world, you know, what what's happening behind the scenes. So, you know, uh, what are some of the sort of tailwinds and headwinds that you see uh, C-suite in in startups? faced with at the moment and, and what are they kind of overcoming and then we'll maybe come on to the the talent gap more specifically i mean i'm an optimist so i'll take the tailwinds first and i think we talked about it a little bit before as we said i think the fact that the u.n secretary general in new york said told bbc that climate change is an existential threat and he used those words and i think more and more we are getting governments across all continents and across all levels in big and small ways becoming aware of that. And so what is resulting is policymaking and regulation that is accelerating this transition. Um, now you can take examples of, you know, the US, we were, you know, from 2016 through 2020, we had very little movement in this space. It's at the federal level. Yet, you know, the Biden administration's legislation has been an absolute amazing piece of kind of um, tailwind for the clean tech industry. It will forever kind of transfer the landscape in the United States across, you know, manufacturing, across infrastructure, across workforce. And that it's monumental what the administration has achieved in the first two years. Um, then at the state level, we look at, you know, these states like California and New York, who are, you know, the really at the beachhead um, announcing bans on, on ICE vehicles. So I think these are, these are huge tailwinds for 
large organizations that are transitioning. So if you think about tra- traditional vehicle OEMs, who in, in the past <laughs> four years and in, in the previous administrations were kind of tiptoeing about, you know, didn't think they had to do anything, but all of a sudden completely pivoting and, and now making commitments for 2025, 2030, should have done that earlier. So I think that it's tailwinds for both large organization and definitely for startups because, you know, our vision, our technologies need support, um, both financially and market certainty. And I think this gives us some of that. Um, that's all the great things. But now let's talk about what we are, what some of the ground realities will will be. Um, obviously, we've just lived through once in a generation pandemic. And I think in many ways, um, it changed businesses and how we perceive work and in many ways, very, very um, differently. But it created, again, once in a generation supply, we hope, supply chain issues that impact directly, especially for startups. Um, So, and then the consequent kind of monetary fiscal policy and and the kind of government support, a lot of of, uh, money in the system created this huge inflation, inflationary period that now we are experiencing and, and what will happen going forward. I mean, it's uncertain, but we are definitely entering difficult period for the next you know maybe 12 12 to 18 months let's hope it's you know it's a it's a short one um but from a startup perspective obviously this makes fundraising a difficult prospect so that in one way that's obviously a a big headwind but i think in my perspective i feel that you know these are situations which kind of uh, differentiate a solid startup with a solid, you know, kind of go to market and 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 good technology, to you know, absolutely be aware of where they put their resources, and be very focused on their approach, so not as to waste resources. So I think those are some of the headwinds that. Um, we should be prepared for that we at least are preparing for so you know being very very careful about um, what we are doing where we are focusing where we are spending our resources thank you for that and 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 you know when you look at the segments of some of the startups that are out there obviously you know ev charging is you know there's there's a lot in that world at the moment but what other sort of subsectors are you are you super excited about now just before we move on to the, the the talent gap Oh, I, I think I think personally, I'm excited about energy storage. I think if we are going to um, make this transition to 100% clean energy storage, is going to make it or break it. And whilst we've been, you know, very familiar with kind of the lithium-ion based energy storage, which is one of the startups that I I work with, uh, is working to specifically develop solution for uh, fleet electrification. Um, I think all the R&D work that is going into the storage um, segment, as well as the funding that the federal government is making in this R&D space is incredibly exciting. I think you've seen you know, some of the technologies raising a lot of kind of um, 
funds, um, we hope they make it because we will need storage because the sun will always not shine and the wind will always not blow. We need to store that energy because that's what's going to make us get our fossil fuel. Amazing. And, um, and, and we, we spoke about this one quite a lot when we first connected, but um, you know, as, as the industry grows and as the sector grows, um, you know, we, we need people to grow along with it. Um, you know, if you're sort of assessing some of the talent gaps, um, I suppose my last two questions would be, you know, where, where should we get the next clean tech professionals from? Which, which sectors do you feel and, 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 and transverse that, that, that bridge? And, and, and second of all, you know, what, what would be your advice to people that are obviously believe in the cause, want to make a difference, want to live their purpose, but, you know, hey, they've been doing this for 10, 15 years. It's a risk to move. So double question. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on it before we close. Yeah. So I think it is interesting. You know, there's, there's been a lot of people like me from telecom background who made the transition to clean energy. And I can't, I can't say... There's a reason to it, but I think it is this, this ability to see how a traditional industry could morph with the help of technology into a huge potential. I think we saw that in telecom, and I think that made us think, okay, which other industry? And, and, and we saw that in electricity and, and, and um, energy, and how do you, how do you uh, transition that into uh, clean? So I think I'm seeing people come from very different segments. I think I see a lot of people moving from the finance segment, which pleases me no end. I'm like, yes, please leave Wall Street and join the clean street. Go on. We need that. <laughs> so um, I'm seeing a lot of diversity. And I think um, as this segment attracts um, more and more kind of new technologies, new kind of people coming in with diverse ideas, I think we will see transition from, I won't say, I won't kind of say only this segment should transit. I think it should be open to all. You need to feel that our house is burning. We need to, we need to do something. So in your own small way, you don't have to be fighting fires in, the, in California, Sierra Nevada, but do something that might help those people fight those fires if that's a drone technology or something else doesn't matter so i think i think that interest has to be there just because you know evs and and electrification is sexy doesn't mean you know that shouldn't be the reason enough you have to have a feeling or be passionate about the fact that you want to contribute and if you if that's what your thought process is you can come from any background you know I don't believe in, you know, academic excellence. I believe in attitude. You have the right attitude and you have the ability to do hard work. You, you can achieve anything. You can do anything. Um, and I would say life is a sine curve. It goes down, it goes up. And you might be sitting in an up curve in your, you know, fancy office in Wall Street. I don't know. Maybe it will not always be there. So, you know, like death and taxes, the only thing constant in life is change. So be brave, be fearless, and go forth. You know, um, enjoy the ride. I mean, it's no fun sitting in one place. 
just go for the ride. Just go for it. I love it. I think that's a brilliant place to leave it. Thank you, Bonnie. This has been really insightful. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us today. No, I, I love it. Thank you for the opportunity to to share my perspective. I, I uh, really appreciate the opportunity and especially if I can encourage more women to come into our space from whichever segment they may be in, then I would have contributed a little bit to my gender. Thank you. No worries. Thank you, Beth.